Mindfulness Mode 482. For me personally, mindfulness is being in every moment, including everything, excluding nothing. Hey, Mindful Tribe, so good to have you here. Before I tell you about today's episode, I want to tell you about a social media scheduling tool. It's called Meet Edgar. It makes it easy to schedule and automate your content on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. Get a discount at mindfulnessmode.com forward slash Edgar, E-D-G-A-R. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness right here on Mindfulness Mode. And I have to tell you, we have a fascinating guest today. She has so many stories. And when I say stories, I mean she's a tremendous storyteller, as you will you will find when you read her book called Choosing Happiness. And I say when, because this is not optional. You must read Choosing Happiness because it is phenomenal. I have the wonderful, wonderful Rudrani Devi here today. Rudrani, are you in mindfulness mode today? I most certainly am every day. That's that's fantastic. And I know that from reading your book. I know how happy your life is and so on. But uh, I'm very excited to interview you. I want to share a little bit about you with our Mindful Tribe listeners, Rudrani. And this is what I will say. Rudrani Devi is a positivity expert. She's a speaker. She's an author, as I said, of Choosing Happiness. In 2008, Rudrani was in Mumbai, India on a meditation retreat when she was shot at point blank range. And it was part of a massacre that lasted for four days and left 150 people dead. So Mm -hmm. it was an absolutely terrifying experience. And as a result, Rudrani began a journey of healing, both physically and emotionally. And this path led her to eventually, you wouldn't, think this. I never would have guessed it, but it led her to eventually run the Boston Marathon with the help of her trainer and sponsorship from Adidas. And then she embarked on a mission to bring love and light into the world. And she's bringing it into my world right now. (laughs) So this is so much fun to have you here, Rudrani. What does mindfulness mean to you? Mindfulness, just the word itself brings up so many things to so many different people. And I get asked this question quite a bit, actually. For me personally, mindfulness is being in every moment, including everything, excluding nothing, being in that expanded space. So it's almost like with a little consciousness attached, because consciousness, as we know, includes everything and excludes nothing. Yes, it does. And you became introduced to access consciousness I did. later in your life. And it was after this horrible event in India. Tell me how you, you met up with the people at access consciousness and how yes. this kind of started to change your life. This was a very interesting story. I actually was first introduced to access in 2003. Okay. A friend of mine who's a chiropractor said, you should go to this meeting. These people have some very interesting ideas on how to navigate your life. And I'm good friends with this guy. I think, okay, I'll go check it out. And they had a lot of really cool things to say that made sense that were not what you would consider to be the norm or the Mm -hmm. normal way of thinking, but very pragmatic tools. So back in the day, 2003, when there wasn't a lot of internet 
Right. I made files for everything. So I had a file for access consciousness. And after what had happened in India, I thought, you know, I want to go back and revisit that. And by that time, there was internet, and I was able to reconnect with this group again. Okay, so you've met Gary Douglas then? I sure have. He's amazing. Yeah, I interviewed him for my show on episode 436. Yeah, it was pretty fascinating. I can't wait to text him. (laughs) Yeah, as well as Dane here, and you know Dane, right? I do, I do. Yeah. Yeah. I dedicated the book to these two gentlemen. Yeah, I know you did. I saw that right away. Love these guys. When I read the book, and uh, you know, you've you've had such a fascinating life, but it wasn't all easy. I mean, you talk about those childhood challenges of having what you described as such a mean father, like he was so so physically mean and harsh. I mean, how did you survive that and still be such a happy person? I, you know, everyone seems to think I was born happy because I laughed all the time. And I think some people, I mean, your nature is to be happy. And I think I followed that more and I didn't know any different. I really thought that's the way families are. He called it tough love. And I, you know, I love my father. I, I didn't understand what was going on. And we were all raised that way, in a very mm-hmm. strict religious household, Catholic family. And it wasn't until I ventured out that I realized this is not cool at all. This is mm-hmm. not the way things are supposed to be. And I knew that he had somewhat of a tough childhood. His mother evidently had a lot of the same type of personality, uh-huh. but I don't remember his parents. They were gone before. I'm the number five out of six children and they had passed before before I came into the world, so. Well, the way you described it in in your book, you were this happy, upbeat, fun, excited kid whenever you weren't at home. But when you were at home, you were kind of like suppressed. Is is that true? I would walk on eggshells. Yes, walking on eggshells. I mean, I was kind of a happy gal until he got home. (laughs) And then I did, we never knew what to expect. So, you know, got to be the good kid. Well, I can identify with it because it's much the same as what I went through. Oh my. And boy, it was challenging. Yeah, that fear, that fear that my mom had for my mm-hmm. dad, you know. Same. And that and that I had that, you know, oh my gosh, he might be like looking in the window, wonder if wondering if supper is ready, making right. sure supper is He would call being me and prepared. have me start supper, actually. That's kind of a funny memory that yeah. you kind of jogged in my head there. But he would always call me and tell me, okay, you need to pull the chicken out and do this and blah, blah, blah. And and I had to do it right because if I didn't do it right, oh. Well, my mom would say, okay, put, Bruce, put some plates on the table and at least make it look like we're getting supper ready. Because if he looks in the window and he doesn't see a sign of getting supper oh ready, like, look out. You know, that's right. what it was like. Wow, you did, you did live my life growing yeah, up. Not pleasant. Not, not pleasant. My dad just passed on in January, just uh, oh eight months ago. Wow. So. Well, what was interesting is towards the end of his death, and I know this (laughs) doesn't really relate to what we're talking about. He got dementia Mm -hmm. and he was dying of cancer. This is like the fourth round of it. At that point, it was like he had amnesia. And all of a sudden, I couldn't do any wrong. He would call me and tell me how much he loved me and when was I visiting. And so at the end, it was a very interesting turnaround. But, you know, I he just, he had amnesia or something. He didn't remember the childhood, but he had this one moment, Bruce, it was very interesting where he said to me, he was on his deathbed and everybody was at mass and I was sitting with him. Somebody had to be with him all right. the time. And this is midnight mass the, the night before Christmas. And he gets this moment where he sits up and his eyes widen and he says, 
you're going to have to pray for me. God's not happy with me, and I don't want to go to purgatory. And I thought, wow, he does remember. He does know what he did. And then he went blank and laid back down, and those were the last words that I really heard that were clear. He died 11 days later. He was just, yeah, so... It's very interesting. I always wonder what happens when your body goes. Does oh, the being too. still? I wonder that too. Yeah. So fascinating. And, I, and I'm sure, you know, our consciousness still survives. You know, it, it doesn't mm-hmm. end. It doesn't disappear. We just don't understand exactly what does happen. But I feel the same way. Pretty fascinating. I have that same point of view. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, cool. Well, speaking of death, you were eating dinner in India, Mm. in the hotel restaurant. And all of a sudden you knew that you guys better get under the table and play dead. And that's exactly what you did and instructed your group to do. Tell us about that moment. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you are just so completely free and happy. We've had an amazing day visiting ashrams, meditating. We heard Buddhist monks chant that day. I actually remember my body vibrating to their voices. It's an amazing experience to have if you ever get an opportunity. I highly recommend it. And we'd gotten back to the hotel. We were late getting back. We'd planned to eat in an Italian restaurant we kept hearing about that was outside the hotel we, we could walk to. But it was so late and the people in the restaurant saw us and they started setting up the table for us. Yeah. So I went upstairs very quickly, changed into my house slippers. Yeah. Oddly, I had my head wrapped in a white shawl. So we get back into the restaurant and all the waiters and waitresses welcome us in and we think, you know, it's late. We'll go ahead and we'll have dinner here. So I go and put my house slippers on. All I come down with is my room key. They all know us by now. We've been there over a week. Sure. And we heard some popping noises that sounded like firecrackers. Right. So my friend who's from Canada, an actor, he said, you know, I'm going to go check that out and see what that's about. So he leaves Moments later, he comes back. He says, oh, the hotel people are saying it's a bunch of hooligans in the street. We have nothing to worry about. Then the food arrives. And I could have, Bruce, I could have counted to 10. And all of a sudden, uh, there was firing, automatic gunfire. And uh, people were dropping. And I thought, okay, this is, they're looking for somebody in particular. Um, I remembered a a Sopranos episode with Tony Soprano, (laughs) where he is eating pasta with his posse of guys, right? And he knows that there's going to be a hit. So when the target comes in and sits down, he, he sees the gentleman who's going to, the gentleman who's going to take him out. He says, drop. They all hit the ground. The guy gets killed, dragged into the kitchen, through the kitchen out into a trunk somewhere. And they all go back to eating their pasta. So my mind went to that's a smart idea. I mean, those two seconds or whatever it was. And I said, everybody get under the table now. And the only people that survived were four of the six that were at my table. Uh, two of our people perished. And then everyone else in the lobby, in the restaurant, they were all murdered. Oh, so wow. yeah, AK-47 is a loud machine. Oh. And it's 200 bullets a minute, I discovered later after being interviewed by the FBI. So fairly intense situation. Fairly. Yeah. Oh well, gosh, how do you say I it? It's just such an out of body thing. Right. And I did pop out of my body. I actually, I kept hoovering over my body and I thought, well, this is it. <laughs> you know, the things that come to your mind. Well, I had a good life. I don't think my mother will get it. I don't think my husband will get it. But everyone that knows me, I'm a meditation teacher and been teaching holistic modalities and, and right. I have clients. So anybody that knows me would know that I, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to be fine in a weird way to say that. But that's what 
what went through my mind. And it was actually being outside of my body that I first saw the terrorists. They looked like, they looked like young boys right. to me. And that's how I ID'd them uh, to the FBI. I said, you know, they weren't one of more a Nike shirt, you know, ball cap. They just look like young boys, 16, 17 wow. years old. They look scared. They look like they were hopped up on something. Uh-huh. Like children, you know. Yeah, how terrifying. Yeah. How absolutely terrifying. So, and so then how long did it take you to recover? Oof. When I finally made it home, which was several days later, I nearly bled out. Um, that's when we found out my leg was shattered, actually. So it was a very, very long process. The bullet had actually shattered my femur. And so they had to make a prosthesis to hold the leg together. Okay. Because if I had been bumped funny, the whole leg would have come apart. I'm really lucky to have this leg. I'm really lucky, well, lucky to have everything yes. I have. Yeah, <laughs> so, for sure. I'm very happy about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. But needless to say, my doctor just wouldn't release me. He's, you know, um, I wanted to get back to my life. And it was 25 months before he finally officially re- released me. And that was PT three times physical therapy, three times a week. I had an ultrasound machine I had to use on my leg three times a day at home, which wasn't covered by insurance. I was doing cleanses because of all the steroids and everything I were putting in my body. I mean, if you can imagine, you can't see me, but all the steroids put on quite a bit of weight and I had no appetite. Okay. So it was a very, all of a sudden I didn't feel like I was myself and all of that, but, and I went through a divorce during this time. And one of the factors, which of course I never even think of being a Canadian, one of the factors was the incredible debt you had oh to go gosh. into because of hospital care not being covered. Yeah. Like, wow, that must be. If you're have been out of so the country, tough. if you're out of the country, they don't, unless you have, unless you buy the insurance, right. which I do now, right. um, it's not covered. And right. it, I had to sell property, I sold jewelry, I, you know, d- did everything I could because once my ex, left. He started another family before we got divorced. So he leaves. Uh, um, I was scrambling to figure out well, what am I going to do? You know, it wasn't an option to not plow through it. And that's, I don't know where that comes from, you know, but yeah. I was just happy to be here. <laughs> I was going to make the most of it. And so before that 25 months was up, had you decided to run the Boston Marathon? Is that a oh. goal that you had set your mind on? That was my bucket list dream. I'd already run nine marathons. Oh, you had? I kept, I had, I kept trying to qualify. I'd set up to run a qualifier and was running on the treadmill, looking out at the same water that the terrorists came in on that morning before we went out on this excursion that day, oddly. And so I'd run maybe, I don't know, something like 11 kilometers. And then we did the excursion. So um, what happened was, I put a bib plea on YouTube and Adidas found it and they gave me a hard luck pass to run it. It's my slowest marathon, Bruce. It took me five hours to run that thing. My foot was black. I mean, but I was so happy. I thought I was going to cry when I crossed the finish line. I was so elated. I was giggling and laughing and they came up to interview me and I was, I couldn't stop laughing. I was so exuberant. Right. Wow. You know, finally got to run. So. And do you still run today? I do. I have a treadmill now in, in my garage in front of a big screen TV because I like to watch the news. I like to know what's going on out there. Okay. If I had known more about that, perhaps in India, I would have been a little more informed. 
So I'm kind of a news junkie now and I enjoy it, you know, uh-huh. in a weird way. It's like, oh, that's what's going on. So how far do you run every day on your treadmill? Well, um, that was the last marathon. <laughs> then I wrote my second book, which was called For the Love of Running. And I went on a book tour with that and I ran several half marathons. And then my body said, you know, maybe five to eight miles is enough for you. So only two or three days a week, I've kind of picked up boxing again <laughs> and, uh-huh. and Pilates three times a week. So, you know, you get a little older, your body goes, hmm, maybe you should change this up a little bit. So is Pilates a form of mindfulness for you? Oh my goddess, yes. Okay, so this is what people don't know about running. It's not about your arms and your legs. It's about your core, right? And Pilates is all about the core, Joseph Pilates. And so it is, it's this, you, the breathing technique along with it is definitely a mindful meditation. In fact, I, I look at my whole life that way. I, I, I'm a walking, talking meditation, even having this conversation with you. And that's simply being here now in the moment with every word connecting. You just you can perceive that energy of it. And that's mindfulness. Is the breathing that goes with Pilates specific kind of breathing? It is actually. Can you tell us a little about it? Well, you know, it kind of reminds me a little bit of pranayama mm-hmm. yoga where, you know, you do one side with your finger and you breathe in and then you do the other side. And, but you're, you're you don't have your hands on your nose, obviously, right. but when you're exerting, you, you push out a breath. And when you're doing the opposite, you breathe in through your nose. And so there's a rhythm to it and you follow the rhythm of your body. And I dare say, I can actually feel the cells responding when I'm doing this type of breathing. You know, it's, it's, um, it's connecting with your body and in and, and a way I, I sense that most people don't, you know, in the morning, the first thing I say is, you know, uh, who, am, who or what am I today and what glorious and grand adventure are we going to get into? And I include my body. Wow. Speaking of connecting, Rudrani, mm-hmm. I feel so connected to you because you have such a powerful way of communicating those words on the pages of your book. It just oh. feels like I'm right there. Thank you know, your you. story of your father, your story of being in India, your story of your first day of college. I mean, oh it's, it's all so well-crafted. Now, is that a form of mindfulness for you, putting words together and writing? That's a very good question, Bruce. I don't know where these words come from. <laughs> do you feel like you channel? Do you feel I, like you channel? I do. I, it's this little book. It's a little book, but it's, it's pretty potent. I wrote this book in one week. Wow. I literally decided, this is how it happened. I, the 10 year anniversary was coming. I always get asked why I'm so happy. And I thought, well, I had these tools and, you know, access may not be something people want to access consciousness, the organization or the movement may not be something everybody would be interested in, but everybody could benefit from the tools. So I thought I'm going to create a book. It's like the 101 of happiness, choosing happiness with these tools. And I went to the founder, Gary Douglas, and I said, I'd really like to write a book that if someone comes up to someone in Access and says, what is this Access Consciousness thing you're talking about? They can say, read this book, 90 minutes, and you'll have enough to get an idea. And he said, choose. And I said, okay, I'm choosing it. And so I put aside a week with no clients, no distractions. I made sure I could see nature because I am in love with nature. I'm in love with nature. Thank you, Mother Nature. Got to do a shout out. She doesn't get nearly enough attention. No, she doesn't. And um, I mean, I got to be careful. I'll get, I'll get emotional about it. So 
I just sat there and wrote and I thought, I'm, I'm going to write until it's done. And I was set aside a week thinking, okay, I'll set aside a week and then I'll go back to work and then I'll set aside another week. And, and it was done in a week. Incredible. I couldn't believe it. I thought, okay. And so I waited a week and then reread it and went, oh, this is pretty good. Maybe it's really ready. The only thing I didn't have was the last chapter. And then I wrote that in that moment. Uh, my good friend, Heather Nichols, agreed to write the forward. She's also a wonderful writer. I said, published a book of poems and a delightful being also in Access. Right. And the book came together. I sent it into Access Publishing, Access Consciousness Publishing. And they said, we'd be delighted to publish it. So now I'm actually translating it into two other languages. Oh, are you really? Yeah. Spanish uh, first, because I'm going to Barcelona and teaching. Barcelona, oh. actually. Right. And class, the 10 Keys of Total Freedom Book Club and uh, Write Voice for You. And, um, and then we'll just see where it goes from there. So very excited. Portuguese is, a, is the other language. Oh, I have a feeling I know why this book came together so easily. It has to do with a statement. All of life comes to me with ease, joy, and glory. You froze. <laughs> so this statement, all of life comes me, but... to me with ease, joy, and glory. What does this statement mean to you, Johnny? <sighs> So no joke. That's my mantra. I say it every morning, 10 times. I say it every night, 10 times. I say it several times during the day. If something uh, is making my butt itch a little, you know, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. um, ease, joy, and glory. Well, that can be summed up this way for me. I don't have a point of view about much anymore, really. And if I do, I state it. To me, there is no right or wrong, no good or bad. It's just an interesting point of view. And when you come at it from that angle, there's nothing that sticks you. So everything's easy. Even something that would seemingly not appear to be easy is easy because you don't have a point of view about it. So you don't get stuck in, in that mindset where people kind of spin out. You could go to instead, well, that works for them. Doesn't work for me. I'll choose something different. But I don't have a problem. I'm an allowance of them choosing what they're choosing. So that's the ease part of it. Then if you've, you've got that covered, well, suffice it to say, you're going to be pretty joyful with yourself because you're not going to be judging yourself for, you know, aligning and agreeing or resisting and reacting to something. And then glory is just the exuberance of life, which naturally comes when you're happy. I mean, your cells literally dance when you're smiling. They do. And laughter also. That's I mean, I connect with Mother Earth. Every time I laugh, I can sense her holding me. So I dare to say, if you want to contribute to the planet, laugh more. I can certainly agree with that. I don't think people laugh enough. You know, no. I think that it's, it's really true. When you deal with clients, do you ever have clients that really don't go with the flow when you say to them, are you willing to be happy? My thought would be, well, who isn't? Who wouldn't be willing to be happy? But do you find that there are some people that just sort of push back when you talk about that? Absolutely. I mean, and sometimes they never break through, but it is just a choice. I'm an allowance of that. I'm happy to share the tools. My brother's late wife was that way. She was always complaining. She had lots of medications. One day I sat down with her and I said, you know, you actually have three medications that do the same thing. Do your doctors all know that that's what's going on? And she just started crying. And I, and I said to her, you know, it seems to me, I mean, it, you're busy dying. Wouldn't you rather be busy living? And she said, it's not worth it to be here. 
And I couldn't believe the words coming out of her mouth. And I thought, wouldn't, I can't imagine anybody feeling that way. And I'm, and I'm not saying that depression isn't real. Yeah. You know, I, I have a family member who's bipolar. She takes medications. It's very real to her. I'm saying that there are tools if you choose to help wane you out of that. I mean, I have PTSD. When my body goes into flashbacks or night terrors, I know exactly what it is. And I allow my body to have fits and do what it needs to do. It doesn't scare me. It's just the process my body has to create to get out of it. I don't make it a wrongness. Again, no point of view. It's like, body, I love you. Do what, do what you got to do. You got me this far. I trust you. I don't take anything. I don't take an Advil unless it's absolutely necessary. Right, right. So it's the things, you know, suppressants actually hold PTSD in your body. And that's the next book I want to write. Once this one kind of runs out of steam, it's like a toddler I'm chasing right now. But the next book I'd like to write will be called, uh, well, I have a working title, in, see, PTSD and Me, and going through the journey of being an allowance of that and what other holistic things that you can create and generate through different modalities to help you get there. You know, it takes a team, it takes a village. You share tools in your book and you share tools with your clients. Are there any tools you can share with us now? Well, I did share one already. Interesting yeah, point did. of view. Yeah, you did. And but are there any others? Absolutely. I, and uh, well, let's just see which one jumps out at us because they're all so good. I hate to choose. Just, I don't hate anything really. Oh, oh yeah. I love this one. Live in 10 second increments. Oh yeah. This will get you yeah. out of anything. This yeah, will get tell you us out of anything. So we think we have to be married to our decisions about everything. Well, I said I was going to do this. So then when we don't do it, of course, we go into judgment again about ourselves because we just were in that space of, well, I said I was going to do this and I didn't do it. But what if you could know that perhaps what you chose doesn't resonate for you and isn't a kindness for you or whoever you promised it to? then it actually isn't a kindness to continue to do something. It's like a marriage that falls apart. Is it a kindness to stay in a marriage that is disruptive to the family and to each other? Isn't it more of a loving thing to actually allow that person to move on if that's what's going to be best for them and for you and for the children? And I mean, I hate to say it, I begged my mother to divorce my father. And she kept saying, when all of you get through college, that's what I'm going to do. And then after college, it was her belief systems about not making it to heaven. So it didn't happen. And my father now this Christmas will be past 12 years. And this is the happiest I've seen my mother and more herself. She was cutting her arms and legs off to get out of that relationship. Whereas, you know, she could have been in the space of 10 seconds. If I make this decision, if I choose this, what will it create? So to me, the 10 second increments is a great tool because it gets you out of judgment of yourself out of others. And if it doesn't work for you in a week or two, you can always choose again. Isn't that cool? I mean, that's yeah, it's very cool. <laughs> one of the best tools. This is one I share with my clients a lot because they usually come in with fixed points of view about what they have to do. And I'm like, you know, if you could just allow yourself to get rid of that one fixed point of view, what could that create for you? And they've never even thought of it that way before. It's pretty amazing, actually. I love how practical this book is and and how like it just pulls the reader in. I couldn't put it down. And yet there's so many practical tools in it. And Mindful Tribe, check out Rudrani's website, 
rudranidavy.com and it's R-U-D-R-A-N-I and her last name Davy is D-E-V-I. So check out rudranidavy.com. Is there any place else we should be going to check out oh you my. and your work? And Well, it's interesting. If you go to that website, I literally have it linked to, yes. I don't even know how many websites. I've, I've got my band website. I've, right. you know, I've got my reverb nation. I'm the number two funk artist in Nashville, Tennessee, if you can believe that. Wow. So I have that link. I have the links to where you can find me on Facebook. I have Duddy clinic page, and then I have Rudrani Davy page. So if you get to that one, you'll get routed to anywhere you want to go. I even have an aromatherapy company called. Yeah. So I cut my fingers in a, wow. in a, in a lot of things. So Davy essentials Inc. also is another link and you can find it on Etsy as well. So I didn't realize you had an aromatherapy thing going on. I know that you do so many different things. Like, it's like you have endless, endless energy. It seems like. I don't really sleep much. I think when you're not stressed, your body doesn't require as much sleep. That's, that's Uh the story I'm going to go with, I guess. Sometimes I crash for, you know, seven hours. I'm like, wow, (laughs) how did that happen? But the, the oils that has to, that's my connection to nature. I can sense the vibrations. And so these are actually proprietary blends that are put together and they're created for very specific things. A lot of chiropractors use them, massage therapists. Are they totally organic? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Because a lot of the ones you'll find out in the world, if you go to a TJ Maxx or something, they're Mm -hmm. cut and they're, and then people uh, diffuse them with heat, which you're not supposed to do water diffuser them so they can permeate the air. Right. So yeah. And do you send them out to other countries or just within the U.S.? So far, it's just the U.S. But it's funny that you asked me that because I just got that question yesterday. Like, do you want it to go further out? And I thought, well, I'm one person making these. <laughs> I have a fulfillment company. I would have to do something pretty grandiose if the demand became such. So, so it would be tough to send them to me. Oh, I can get them to Canada, please. Can you? Yes, I can. <laughs> What else is possible, right? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I figure when it comes to you, you, you can make things possible that may not appear to happen. be possible. Yeah, that's really awesome that you can do that and that you do so many different things. So it's it's really exciting. I mean, to be interest, introduced to you through the book was amazing. And then I find out, okay, you know a lot of the people I know, you know, and I through access consciousness and everything. Right. So that's cool. But as we move on in the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. Oh, rapid fire. Okay, Here we go. Okay, rapid fire. Just 30 <laughs> second answers are perfect. The first one is this. Who is one person who's influenced mindfulness in your life? Oh, wow. Goodness gracious. Well, I could go to my guys, <laughs> Gary and Dane, Yeah. later in life. But interestingly enough, I'm going to go with my mom. And that's because of the music connection. I started to play violin when I was four through the Suzuki method. and I. That's the first time I consciously knew I was meditating because the violin and I became this. Uh, So so music has been a form of your meditation. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I write those songs just as quickly as I wrote that book, actually. Wow. I can write a song in 20 minutes. How has mindfulness affected your emotions? Well, that's easy. (laughs) When you're present without judgment, there's this calmness you always have. There's really no peace on this planet. You have to choose that. Also, even in nature, I mean, but they seem to be able to receive it better than, than we do. Okay, she had noticed the, the weakest gazelle allows herself to be devoured, saves the tribe, right? Yeah. With her eyes wide open because it's all part of nature. 
Yeah, I've noticed. I've noticed. <laughs> so <laughs> tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness practice. Well, now that's very interesting too. I recently went through a bout of bronchitis. So breathing became very labored for me and I became uh, highly attuned at how precious it is. I do notice when I'm walking that I have a certain way of breathing. I do notice when I'm running, I have a certain way of breathing. And then in the last six weeks of getting over all of this, I have done breathing exercises that were suggested. So it's a way of expanding out for me. I have also an expanding out meditation in my book that you can use barcodes and and get to that very short. I didn't milk it very much, just six minutes. So anybody can, can do it. I love your book, Choosing Happiness. I never even mentioned the subtitle. It's an uncommon way to find joy in your life. I love that. The tagline. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Yeah, Choosing Happiness. So get your hands on that book. But are there any other books that you would recommend, Rudrani, related to mindfulness? Wow, okay. There's plenty of books I could recommend. I'm just going to go with the first one that came to my mind, which is Dr. Dane Heer's book. Now I'm trying to remember the title. It's being, it's being you, being you was the gift to the world is basically uh, what it is. So, and he's got it in several languages and I've literally seen this book change. I mean, I say millions of people's lives. I've, I've been into so many access classes around the world and I don't know anybody within the organization that hasn't read that book. And it's in 179 accesses in 179 countries, I think now. And Incredible. it's not just within access. It's a best-selling book outside of it as well. So there's a lot of tools in there. And in fact, you'll recognize a few of them from this little book. Yes, I will. And Dr. Dane here was one of my guests on episode 438. So Mindful Tribe, just type in mindfulnessmode.com slash 438 and that episode will pop right up. You should do it. You should do it. You also interviewed Gary. They should definitely find that one as well. Gary Douglas, he originated Access Consciousness. He's the founder and he's on 436, mindfulnessmode.com slash 436. Check it out. Oh, what number am I? You are going, I'm not sure what number you're going to be. I don't have a number for you yet. Okay. All right. I'm looking uh, forward to finding out. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, I have one more question. Are there any apps? Any apps that you would recommend that can help with mindfulness? In yeah, actually, I'm going to go back to access consciousness again. There's an app called who does this belong to.com. Okay. And so when you come up with a thought or a feeling or an emotion that doesn't resonate for you and you think this can't possibly be what I'm thinking, you go to, you know, who does this belong to.com and it navigates you out of it. So if you, if you could do that, you know, for three days straight with every thought, feeling, and emotion that came up, you would find that interesting point of view would become a lot easier for you. So I recommend it to my clients. Now, one question I always ask everybody, and this doesn't have to be a 30 second answer, but one question I always ask is about bullying because I've worked in bullying prevention for over a decade. Are there any stories that pop into your mind that you can tell us where you know, mindfulness would have made a difference. Maybe you were bullied or you were a bully or, you know, some story of some kind. First, I just want to acknowledge you for doing that work. That's very important work. Thank you so much, Rudrani. No one should ever be bullied. I'm bullied by my father for years. So was I a victim of being bullied? Sure. He said, you know, you're pretty, but you're not very smart. So then I get an academic scholarship, but that's beside the point. You know, maybe it made me work harder. I I don't know. So he said, you, you better get married early in life. And I got married two weeks before my 40th birthday. So that did, didn't quite pan out. 
the way he had said it. But there's a situation, it was quite recent, June a year ago, we were celebrating my mother's birthday on a river cruise. And so she wanted her four daughters to do this trip with her. We left the boys at home. I have two brothers as well. So we go on this river cruise and, and the folks on the river cruise were older in their seventies and eighties. And I noticed that they had very fixed points of view about how things should be. And there was one night where they would have these different events going on and they had these two dancers that were amazing. And I got to dance with the guy and the girl picked somebody else and they were teaching us some moves, whatever. So afterwards, we're all just dancing. And there were several women there that are widowed that wanted to dance. And two of them, one of them led and the other one followed. And this other woman that was on the cruise, just could she made it her mission to go around and telling everybody, well, I can't believe they're doing this. Don't they realize that they look like lesbians? I mean, it's just awful what they're doing. And it eventually, they were close enough to where these women could hear it. And whether they were lesbians or not is beside the point. <laughs> like it's any of their business. I don't right, have a point of view right, about exactly. that. Yeah. But you could see that it was hurtful. Yeah. And they could have kept them to them, even if they had this point of view. Yes, they could have kept them to themselves. And, and I didn't feel like it would be a kindness for me to even suggest that. Yeah. <laughs> so I pulled myself out of it. But, you know, it's interesting to me what can stick you. And bullying is, is all about judgment. Yeah. If we didn't have a point of view, we wouldn't judge anyone or anything. That's right. So yeah. I love the work you're doing. I'd Thank love to know so more. Much. Thank you so much. Yeah, I've been to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of schools. I've done lots of presentations and, you know, done keynote addresses and all that kind of thing. And yeah, I have a real passion for this topic. If there's anything that I can do to contribute to that, I would love to be a part of it. You just let me know. Thank you so much, Rudrani. Mm -hmm. You're so well, welcome. You're contributing to the world with so many things that you're doing. I mean, it just seems it just seems endless when I look at all the different things you do to help people and through access consciousness and now with your book Choosing Happiness. So, thank you so much for being on the show and I will give your website another shout out. It's your name, so it's super easy, Rudrani Davy and it's R U D R A N I D-E-V-I.com. So get yourself over to that website. Rudrani, thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, thank you, Bruce. I had so much fun. Me too. This was a great conversation. It sure was. You take care now, Rudrani. <laughs> Bye now. Thanks so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com and type the guest's name or the episode number into the search bar. You can also go mindfulnessmode.com slash whatever episode number you like. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by subscribing to Mindfulness Mode wherever you listen, whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, so many places you can hear Mindfulness Mode. So hit subscribe and share because that truly helps our show. So remember what I said at the top of the show about Meet Edgar and how that tool can help you with your social media content so much. Check it out and get, like I said, the second month free. You already get the first month free. Get the second month free with this, with this uh, URL. Go to mindfulnessmode.com forward slash 
Edgar, E-D-G-A-R. So remember, subscribing and sharing helps keep mindfulness mode on the air. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.